Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And the time has come. The world of leadership and organizational development is transforming before our eyes. Leaders either learn to cross the threshold and thrive in these transformational times, or they struggle, stress, and strain with outdated approaches, methods, and mindsets. Crossing the threshold while keeping the wheels on the road is the challenge of our time for what our guest refers to as future fit leaders. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Giles Hutchins is a pioneering practitioner, keynote speaker, advisor, and executive coach at the forefront of a revolution in leadership consciousness and organizational development. He applies consciousness-raising modalities, deep-dive nature immersions, embodiment work, ancient wisdom traditions, future fit organizational development approaches, and cutting edge research on leadership consciousness. I love this. And you did hear me right, deep dive nature immersions. In these transformative times, Giles stimulates the headspace and heart knowing for forward leaning leaders and organizations to become vibrant, purposeful, and future fit. He's the author of the books, The Nature of Business, The Illusion of Separation, Future Fit, and Regenerative Leadership. Welcome to the show, Giles. Thank you. Welcome. It's a real honor to be here with you, Julie. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am too. I've been looking forward to this for a while, and I'm really happy to have you here. And we have a traditional first question here on the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected, Giles, and I think you're going to appreciate it because you wrote a book about it. <laughs> so we're going to begin by having you share with our listeners, what does All Things Connected mean to you? Wow. Okay. Well, um, we have known for the large part of our human history, 99% of the time on this planet, that we are actually imbued, embodied, part of a living field. Uh, only recently have we begun to think that we're separate from that field, which is a illusion that we've created in our own minds. And it comes with certain advantages um, and it helps in, it enhances in certain ways. Um, and we've gained something from that sense of separation. But now we are on a journey returning back into that sense of interconnectedness with life once again. Mm. You write about this and you do a beautiful job talking about the ego and the soul and you talk about the illusion of separation. There's so much about this topic. I can't wait to dig in. But first, Giles, I really would like to explore your personal journey. You and I have talked a little bit, and I, I kind of know a little bit about who you are, but your writing is spot on, and I absolutely love Future Fit. 
how did you begin your journey onto this path of forward-leaning leadership? What's your personal story? How did you dig into consciousness and, and then weave all this together in, in your career, in your expression? Gosh, well, I think it all, it started way back when I was um, very young. I, I was lucky that I had parents who regularly taught us, uh, took us out for nature walks. And um, uh, I remember once actually uh, getting rather uh, carried away on my parents' drinks cabinet and um, sort of getting a bit squishy before one particular walk when I was only about seven <laughs> years old and um, actually ending up spending the entire walk hugging a tree next to the car. My parents weren't aware of it. They went off for about an hour walk thinking I was hiding and following them. It was only when they came back to the car that they <laughs> realized something was wrong. <laughs> and I think in, in that time, I, because I, 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 I can recall the time, I was actually very open to nature um, as a young child. Um, much later in my life, when I was in my teenage years, when I finally um, uh, really realized the um, limitations of our civilization uh, around things like animal testing, uh, factory farming, um, child slavery and so forth, and really just the destruction of life on Earth, uh, did I only then start becoming more kind of a, um, a, a more of an activist. And I promised myself very early on that I would use my acumen as best I could to really get inside the mindset of what created this. So not just have a go at the, the bulldozer driver um, uh, chain clearing the forests or the company that is involved in the mining, but actually the whole system. You know, what is creating this? Um, and that's why I went into business early on in my career. Mm. Well, you you do get into the mindset, you get into the consciousness, and I, I love that this vehicle through nature brings you here because your work really does a beautiful job integrating nature and using nature and the, the nature of our reality. So, I, I love this. And let's begin then with the world is changing and business as usual is no longer an option, right? So, conscious leadership can no longer use these outdated models. Can you share with us a synopsis perhaps of, of the old model and the new model and, and what brings your voice this expression into the world right now what a synopsis what's the old what's the new where are we going yeah well the old really is a mechanistic mindset i mean it, it essentially came out of the uh the scientific revolution which brought all sorts of advances in modern medicine um transportation and digitization so a lot of advances that we all benefit from today so it's not all bad by any means um but what came with that reductive uh, focusing in on the bits and bytes on the parts um, uh, came with an increasingly dominant, um, essentially left brain hemispheric ego awareness that sees only the bits and bytes and then really de-emphasizes the interconnections. Um, from around 500 years onwards, which is only a fragment of our human history, from that moment on, still today, prevalent today, is that mechanistic mindset. And so the organization itself um, which is full of people and full of creating value and purpose and meaning and so forth, is actually viewed as a machine. Uh, it's viewed as a machine where we sweat assets, human resources being one of them. And we really don't question that because we're so caught up in this mechanistic mindset. And we approach change in that, uh, in that way as well. We can manage change, change management from the top down. And of course, this is why 
uh, 80% of our change management projects uh, utterly fail to deliver anything like what they're meant to be doing and, and why we create systemic problems. And so it's back to the old um, Einstein's uh, genius quote, really, that we can't change um, today's problems with the same level of consciousness that created them. So how do we move out of that mechanistic mindset? Well, we can recognize that organizations are actually living systems, complex, adaptive living systems. And when we do that, we realize that the way in which we lead, the way in which we uh, facilitate space for ourselves and for the people that we're, we're serving has to fundamentally change from one mindset to another, what we call regenerative uh, uh, leadership consciousness. Myself and Laura Storm are exploring regenerative leadership consciousness in our latest book. Um, it's, a, it's a step change. It's a new level of consciousness on from the mechanistic mindset of old. Mm. Speak more about that regenerative um word is so important. We're starting to see that. We've moved from sustainable to thriving to now regenerative. We're, we're hearing in in the different circles who are, are looking at, at the future of business and, and everything on our planet. So speak a little more about regenerative leadership because I think that's important. Yeah. So regenerative, essentially, you know, what we find in nature, in living in all of life, including humanity, is um, this um, compelling to move forward, to create, to co-create, to adapt, evolve. It's part of um, how emergence in nature works, part of evolution. And so we can allow our organizations as living systems to actually adapt and evolve, to become regenerative so that they leave the garden richer than they found it, that they actually work with the inherent grammar uh, that we find within life, within nature. So life, when we look at the big picture within nature, within ecosystems, creates the conditions conducive for life to flourish, as the famous uh, award-winning biologist Jeanine Benyus uh, points out. And so it's a life-affirming, and that life-affirming approach where we create conditions that enhance other life, you know, waste equals food, um, enhancing the environment, things decay and break down, but they create nutritious soil for the next phase. All of these rhythms and, and principles that we find within nature uh, are essentially about being regenerative, creating the conditions that allow ourselves, our systems and our organizations to flourish, to leave the future richer for our children and for life than which we found it. I love that. So, so thank you. And the regenerative is the model that we're all looking toward, right? It's, it's, it's this new roadmap that, that can lead us forward in these radical times of change. And yet, you talk about a root cause of this radical time, of this, <laughs> this chaos we're experiencing. So we're, we're evolving in consciousness, and you do a really good job of teaching about this illusion of separation that not only is just this different kind of mindset for us to, to shift, but you see it as the root cause of our current crisis. I think it's important to lay that, found, that foundation in this conversation. Let's, let's talk about that, that this, this consciousness of separation really is a root cause for almost everything that we're seeing breaking down on our planet yeah. right now. Yeah, we've created a, a, an under, underlying wound, a psychic wound, if you like, uh, within ourselves and within our collective systems, which uh, if we don't address, 
if we don't um, attend to that wound, like any healing process, um, then really we are just adding plasters and we're dealing with symptoms whilst ignoring the underlying root cause. And, you know, we don't have time for that anymore, really, with the systemic problems we face. We need to deal with the symptoms, most certainly, whether that be climate change, whether that be uh, ocean acidification or widespread social inequality, whatever. We need to deal with those symptoms, most, most certainly. But we also need to deal with the fundamental root cause. Otherwise, we, we're just not going to move move forward in the way that we need to as as our human evolution uh, requires us to do. So we need to get into the heart of what is creating these underlying uh, problems. And when you look deep into that, you see that there are some splits, um, some um, tensions that have been created uh, within our human way of operating. Um, and they come about due to us feeling um, that we're separate from ourselves, our own deeper sense of self, our own, uh, what Carl Jung referred to as the self, um, but also you could argue the soul uh, and spirit, that sense of separation, which comes with a heightened ego explosion, ego, ego attentiveness, but also separation from each other, uh, which comes from heightened individualism and uh, separation from the world, from nature, from life. Um, from that field of interconnectedness that we used to feel part of. And so it's that separateness that actually creates a wound um, for us. It's, it's certainly a Western way of attending. Um, but let's also be open and, and honest here. It, it, it also, like any journey, like any quest out of the woods um, and return journey, the old shamanic journey of departure, separation, return, even this journey of separation has brought some insights with it which we can use in our return back in to being more interconnected with life once again so there is it's not all lost and i see this journey and this reinterconnection this chaos that's happening now breakdown breakthrough is very much part of our learning journey yeah i i love the optimism there and so thank you giles when i when i hear you um integrate that journey through separation as a part of where we're at and where we could be instead of really blaming and shaming ourselves as humanity saying look what we've done and yet we still can say look what we've done now let's learn let's grow let's move let's reintegrate and let's let's come back into our wholeness and so i appreciate that point of view because we don't hear that very often we hear people hitting the alarm button and you know bells and whistles going off saying you know now 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 let's do it so that approach gives our body a little bit of room to breathe and relax into this change and into this healing from that wound of separation. So thank you for that voice. And I know there's an urgency in your writing and in your message as well, but not that that ticking time bomb clock <laughs> that brings us into stress and anxiety. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I love what you just said there about giving ourselves, our bodies, the space, because a key to healing is immediately being able to relax, to release. Um, that renewal doesn't happen without, there's something beautiful in nature, there's so much wisdom in nature. And one of the things we see is we have to let go before we can let come. 
And of course, our ego doesn't want to let go of something. Um, it wants to try and have the other thing first before it let goes of it, just to be sure. But that's not how it works. And so we do need to let go. And that letting go has to come with some form of trust, some form of release, some form of acceptance. Mm, yeah. So you bring in nature again, and nature is our teacher. Nature is our guide. Nature is our blueprint. I, I really can't praise you enough for the integration of nature, and I, I love that. So appreciating that message with the, the future fit leadership model and nature, can you just expand on that a bit? Here we are in service of life. You've already said so many quotes. I'm just writing things down because it's beautiful, but we are a part of this complex adaptive living system. Why is nature an important part of who we are and where we're going? Yeah, well, back to this root problem again and this 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 psychic um, uh, atrophy that we have with inside ourselves. Uh, if I, I work with leaders, um, and as we all know, leaders, um, and, and there's a specific reason why I work with leaders, by the way, I, I want to um, shift consciousness quickly. And I, I, I therefore I feel, um, you know, going into the sort of the, the powerhouse of business um, does help catalyze that. Um, and so the senior leaders I work with are busy. Um, time is money. Um, and, uh, so I have to do, I essentially have to hold a psychologically safe container, um, for a relatively short period of time to enable them to, to go deep quickly and safely. Mm. And over, over the years, uh, I have co not come across yet anything better, uh, than nature and nature provides, um, a, a, a very powerful space, uh, for a multitude of reasons. First, because a lot of the anxieties that we feel today which create us to go into that high beta fight flight stress state from which we can't be more empathic we can't see out of the box um, are created in environments where other human beings are in um, where we sense that perhaps we need to be on guard or we're in that separate mindset of you know slight competition and so going out into nature um, it changes it for people. People immediately start becoming a little bit more of who they really are rather than putting on their kind of battle scars and their um, office politics and their the way they have to be. So at some of the business schools I do nature immersions in, for instance, you know, I have to sometimes take them back in um, to wherever they've just come from, the classroom or, or the, um, the business suite. And it's so interesting to see just the subtle shifts of when we go back in to that business suite, um, how, how they, they change slightly. So we're out in nature for a period of time, um, preferably at least three or four hours. Um, I do one day nature immersions, but I also do multi day nature immersions. And then we have our overnight solos so we can and vision quests, which, 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 which becomes much richer. But sometimes it's only three or four hours or it's a day. And that's fine. And in that space, um, we can do a lot. Um, and so when you're out in nature, not only do I do some very simple activities um, that allow people to start energizing their body mind, essentially in, uh, enabling their brain, heart and gut and neural networks and so forth to start reconnecting very simple stuff um that, that then through deep listening exercises and dialogue and so forth encourage them to start getting out of their defense mode and into being more present more open um then i also start playing with living systems so i get them to start sensing the living systems the innate interconnectedness that was in 
is within life. And the trick I've found is I need to constantly bridge that to the business environment. So as long as I can give good business examples uh, and ground it in how this relates to your value proposition or your next stage strategy or the way in which you lead, then people are comfortable. But actually what I'm doing all the time, Julie, is I'm taking people out into a journey, into their own mini vision quest, if you like, without you know them having to feel that. And so when they come back or when we sit around the fire and we really talk and share, all sorts of things come out that just wouldn't have happened if I'd done that in a classroom. Often people cry which I see as a, as, a, as a positive thing because it means that they're touching deeper parts of themselves and it, and, it, and it usually helps other people around the circle see that it's okay to be in touch with their feelings and it gives them permission too. And one simple thing I always do is ensure that we leave our mobile phones and, and mobile devices uh, back at base um, so people can notice how addicted they've become um, to constantly looking at something in their pockets uh, and being distracted from the present moment. Mm. So nature, not only is the teacher, it's the medicine. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole bit. It's the, she is the conduit, quite frankly. Yeah. How powerful. So, so I'm sitting here curious and I'm imagining all these powerful corporate leaders who are so, you know, when I'm around leaders, today, I, I see that, I, I know that this history of being in our minds and being really focused and that forward-moving energetic is, is, is addictive, right? It's like that competition and that, that hurry, hurry, hurry. But I know that that soul piece, and we'll talk about that after the break more, of, of moving from ego to soul, but how are these corporate leaders who are so focused um, – how how long does it take for them to really open to nature and and their authentic true nature themselves and and really come into presence with you what's that what's that like when you get a group of high powered leaders together it's beautiful it's it, it it's it it's makes my heart warm because of course this is my life work and so doing that with i've always I mean, my time in business, so I've been in business all my life, over 25 years, in all sorts of different environments, high corporate stress, running global teams and so forth. So I know firsthand what it's like to be a leader. I was three or 400 emails a day, webinars, conference calls, multiple teams, all the HR issues and pressures and stresses and KPIs and so forth. So one, I can, I can empathize with them. And two, what I found on my time within business is that actually people are just people. People are human beings. You know this, you know, and no matter what they're doing, um, whilst they sometimes in certain situations may come across as kind of quite hard-nosed and brutal and and almost sort of psychopathic actually they're not um in in 99 of the cases i deal with there's always a way in and that's my job really is to create the right environment um to allow that light to come in and for them to just start easing and a lot of that is about me creating the comfort so they feel because people were watching a little bit they're they're slightly on guard you know is this woo-woo stuff what is this? Why are we, what are we doing? Are we going to go and do some um, experiential, you know, white water rafting? What, what, what's up? What are we, what, they don't know how to handle it. So I try and give them comfort. If they're coming on my private workshops or my private coaching, then it's a bit different because they've already had some pre-reading. They already know what to expect. 
But if it's more an, an open program or just with a mainstream business school, um, then my job is to really make them com- feel comfortable. Um, so they open up quite quickly with some simple energetic body work, um, walking in nature and some simple stuff, uh, much of which they probably are unconscious of. Um, they open up and you can see that their faces change, their bodies change, they drop, they start to relax. And the healing nature, uh, the power of nature is starting to to help them. And so they're really opening themselves up to their own healing journey. Mm, Beautiful. It's almost like um, you don't give them the opportunity to think about the woo-woo stuff. You just put them into the experience and the opening of it. And literally what some people would call woo-woo, you're giving them this direct experience and they're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And once they're in it, I mean, you get sometimes you get the odd person who's sort of kind of trying to look at other people and trying to sort of smile a bit because they're a bit nervous and they're thinking, oh, maybe we could giggle or something like that. And this is and and this is for real. This is sometimes for 50, 60 year old senior business people, you know, because it's quite childish, actually. What, what, but it's nerves. Um, but quite quickly, we get beyond that um, within the first half an hour. And then um, we get into a quite a deep space. Then what happens is there's another threshold. So it's a bit like I used to be a long distance runner when I was at, at school. And I always used to say that there's two thresholds, really. That first threshold is really just being able to get through that initial pain barrier. You know, and there is that initial bit with people out in nature when I'm doing work like this, that they just have to go through and open open up. And I've never had no one not going through that first threshold. So they're already they're always in that. Once you get through that threshold, you're going to go into a space that you're going to rem- remember for the rest of your, of your life. And there will be stuff that will be uh, working in the unconscious that will enable you to become a next stage leader. You know, it, whether that's in a few years time, if you're not ready for it now or not, it'll start being laid in you. So that's the good work. The second threshold is probably later on in the journey and then in the long distance running that was really right towards the end of the race when you really you haven't got any energy left and yet you know you have to sprint over the last bit to burn off the last couple of people and that is you know at all odds you are pushing yourself through something and then you go into this almost cloud nine state where you're you can't feel anything and and i think there's a second threshold with the immersions and many often uh, you know i would say you know, perhaps, you know, many people do not go through that second uh, threshold, perhaps only half of them, or maybe a bit more than half go through that second phase. And so people can go through, they have a deep experience, but they may not totally drop all their guards, they may still hold something, um, because they're in a group of people uh, um, that they don't know, or because the time isn't long enough for them. Um, Because a lot of business people have had to have created bulletproof vests and armory on them so i can get through much of that armory um, but sometimes we don't get through the full threshold this is where a vision quest or an overnight solo really helps but often many of them do and if there's a group where quite a lot of them are open to it then pretty much the whole group does and then you're into a life-changing experience for people where they actually start to begin to go through their own transformative experience uh, which again may take many months afterwards um, so, yeah, I would say that's that's the kind of flow that happens. Um, and that can happen within as little as four hours. Wow. Four hours. You're a magician. I can't wait to hear more. Just listening to you, Giles, uh, 
sparking so many questions inside of me and I know probably our listeners too. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're here with Giles Hutchins and we're going to talk so much more about leaning into our future and becoming one of these leaders that he's talking about. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey America, we need to have a little talk. I don't know if you've noticed, but we got a lot of food in this country. A lot of peaches, a lot of corn, a lot of apples, a lot of everything. We've got so much food that we can't even eat it all. So if we got all this extra food, how are 17 million kids in America struggling with hunger? I just don't get it. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to the hungry kids who need it. They can get you food even if you live in Idaho or Alaska or somewhere crazy like that. This isn't complicated. We got extra food and we got hungry kids. Feeding America's done the math. Now it's your turn. Support Feeding America in your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. I know you got internet on your phone, so what are you waiting for? We can't do it without your help. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is the news. This morning, we are saluting the 2.2 million women who have joined in the war effort. They now make up 37% of the workforce, changing their role forever. The prestigious Harvard Medical School is breaking ground today, opening its doors to new female applicants. Today, little girls all over the world look to the sky, where the first woman is now in space. Military stereotypes are challenged today with the trailblazing promotion of a U.S. female officer to four-star general. It was just announced that the vast majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. Arrgh, mateys. Welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a hundred times and found something I like even more than me treasure. Tis the ocean. Beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? The plastic bag! By Blackbeard's eye patch, that's disgusting. Why did you know that many of these things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground? It'd be true. Lend us a hand by always recycling and disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's gotta dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the oceans healthy at KeepOceansClean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. 
You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com, where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. Get connected in one of my private groups or individual programs. I invite you to be a more conscious, courageous, and compassionate co-creator of the beautiful world you want to see. You can check out these opportunities at juliecrawl.com. And learn more about my guest, Giles Hutchins. At, there's a couple different websites. So, Giles, welcome back to the second half. What's the best way our listeners can get a hold of you? Uh, well, the www.gileshutchins.com uh, um, or you can go to my blog, uh, thenatureofbusiness.org or there's the Future Fit Leadership Academy, which is www.ffla.co. Beautiful. I love the nature of business. It fits so perfectly, and and I've been there. I've looked over the blog. It's it's just yumminess for for oof the evolutionary mind, that evolutionary leader. So, Giles, right before the break, we were talking about <clears throat> the experiences that you give these leaders. And, and I have a ton more questions, but I'm really curious uh, about two things, if you'd expand on this. Um, one, I'm wondering what is different between small business owners and large corporate execs from your standpoint, from your point of view. And I'm also wondering about the difference between men and women and if you're seeing a lot of, of women as well. So what are the differences between small business owners and large corporate executives? And how about men and women? Wow, that's interesting. I mean, it's, it, you could answer this um, uh, question in multiple ways. Because um, what's interesting, I, I work with all sorts of different organizations. So uh, I, just the other day, I had a small social enterprise company here, CEO, and the head of operations here in the Valley doing some um, work in nature. And I also work with obviously major corporations, some of the largest in the world. So uh, for me, the most um, important thing is that there is a true intention um, to actually move towards life-affirming futures so that my work and their work as leaders is not just propagating the machine mindset, not just propagating yesterday's logic, but there is actually a desire to move beyond, to fundamentally transform. But in terms of the difference for them, if I put my my myself in their feet it's very interesting because on the one hand i could say there is no difference um uh, everybody likes to think their situation is different and of course every situation is different and that actually size doesn't necessarily matter um that's one way of looking at it and there's some validity in that but there's also some validity in also saying that really you know every company has different pressures and smaller companies naturally have slightly different pressures uh, um, than a large uh, multinational. Um, so, for instance, uh, I was working with a big multinational recently, French company. Um, they had significant debts. We're talking, um, you know, billions of of, of dollars in, in debts. Massive organization that could pay it back and it was fine. But that put a certain pressure on the organization and limited what they could do. And yet, they still had the ability to spend hundreds of thousands on R&D in a particular niche area, for instance, biomimicry. Now, you take a small business um, that may also have uh, some debts um, but is, uh, and is very highly geared. The pressure 
um, that those individuals are under is different because um, they don't have the capacity within their team or the capacity within their bank accounts to perhaps necessarily invest in things. So the way that they have to approach things is differently, perhaps more entrepreneurial, um, but it means that things have to perhaps happen in a different time way, different space time way, perhaps quicker, uh, needs to be more immediate return. Um, but for me, that means perhaps more being a coaching partner, you know, listening alongside, working alongside them so that they can be the ones that change their organizations rather than necessarily um, guiding what they need to do and helping them deliver it, but actually being with them and supporting them through the change they're going through. So that's the difference perhaps between small and large organizations. I love both. I love working with small organizations because they're so alive, so vibrant. Um, and yet also there's a lot of good work happening at the big organizations. Don't, don't, you know, please, please. Um, we, we should know that there is a lot of um, systemic change happening within big corporations as well as at the small level. So um, the second question, which is really interesting again, <laughs> around masculine and feminine. Gosh. Um, so males and females, each of us has this masculine and feminine um, interplay within us. So there's many men I meet who are actually very much in touch with their feminine side and have a kind of strong yin connection as well as a, an understanding of yang and how to use that. And there are also many business women that I work with who are very strong in their masculine side. Uh, I also meet women who have perhaps um, dampened or put hard casings and armory over their feminine side. And I have to work with how to to work through that. Uh, likewise, I also work with men who have put so much armory in place and the sort of perhaps immature masculine, you know, that forceful um, grasping masculine rather than the, the, the more soft power connected with the, their truer self, that there's also a lot of work to be done. Uh, it's difficult for women in the workplace. Um, it's also difficult for men. Um, there's a lot of expectations on people. I think the real fundamental problem is not that it's necessarily a man's world or that, that you know, that it, that it, and it should be a, a more balanced world or anything like that, more that we've just split men and women. We've, we've chosen to polarize the two um, and created a split also between masculine and feminine qualities within us and prioritized the masculine and, and seen the man as superior. And it's that sort of splitting that dominating of one over the other that creates a problem because of course women are different uh, just as many women are different from other women and men are different in in their other ways and so for me I love it when I have groups and I'm lucky to often have groups like that the group tomorrow for instance in Copenhagen will be a, a very mixed group where you get a good few women and you get a good few men and you get some men that are really strong but you also get some men that are perhaps quite introspective and very creative and soft and and the same with the women because I love that you then get all of the qualities you know mm. and, and so I, I love that diversity really. Oh, I love that too. And it occurs to me listening to you that, again, the medicine to transcend that separation, to transcend ego is introducing the soul and how to lead from the soul dynamics. Um, you do a really great job of discussing the ego-soul dynamics in your book, Future Fit, and help it make sense. And I can see how you describe it in the book, I can hear corporate leaders. I can, I can see really high-powered people softening to that as that 
can transcend this this issue here. So let's let's just talk about that for a little bit. You do a good job describing it. You know, a lot of um, prior guests on our show, we talk about ego to essence. We talk about separate self and sacred self. We talk about we talk about a lot of different ways, and the way you frame it is is really gentle to our ears and doesn't make it be woo-woo again. It makes it be essential. It's kind of like the role of nature, the way you talk about soul. It's like an essential part of who we be that we bring into our leadership. Yeah. I mean, first off, it's worth just recognizing that the ego is an important part of our psyche. Um, I think it was um, uh, Sigmund Freud who, who first said, you know, it's, it's really the ego that enables us to differentiate ourselves in this interconnected space-time dimension that we're in. And so, you know, without, without the ego, um, we would just become too amorphous. So we need that. Um, the problem comes when the ego, the sense of our self, our individual self, um, becomes so dominant, um, so emphasized and extenuated inside our own minds that we crowd out um, other aspects um, uh, as you say that really that we start to suppress the natural soul soulful way of attending to life Um, so it's more a case of and lots of consciousness models and there's plenty out there you know Bill Talbot's work Susan Cook Reuters work Bob Keegan's Ken Wilber's Gene Gebster's Claire Graves. I mean, Claire Graves' work around spiral dynamics is very well used in business uh, landscape, adult developmental psychology. All of these models, um, um, Maslow's uh, hierarchy and all of these, uh, show that there are. we get to a point um, in our ego stage development where we're then able to start metamorphosing, where we start transforming from the inside out and with that becomes an ego, the ego permeates. The ego is as if it reaches a certain level of frequency where it's no longer heavy. It's starting to oscillate at a higher level so it can open out. It doesn't need to compete with the soul. It doesn't need to compete um, with other influences. It can start opening out and then become in service of the deeper self, the soul. And then that's a fundamental change. That's a, a metamorphosis. Mm, I love that. So when you put it into the context of, of our development, our developmental stages, um, I do that a lot too. When I'm teaching, it, it it makes us go, oh, okay, we get to we get to grow up. And and you're you're right. It's like the ego learns to relax. And so the one thing I, I appreciate really appreciate about your voice and your explanation of this too is it's not about losing the ego it's really about integrating growing up loosening up and making more room for our sh- our soul to show up yeah yeah i mean it's, it's a it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful undertaking absolutely amazing undertaking the problem that we've got is that today's society the hurry up and get on with it culture really doesn't allow any space and time for such to happen that's the real challenge how do we allow this wonderful undertaking to happen whilst paying the mortgage doing the to-do list um, paying the bills putting you know doing everything that needs to be done and so if we're not careful we then suffer from sort of spiritual materialism where we try and sort of you know construct it and and just do it um whereas actually it's a quality of being it's not something that can be done per se um certainly there's certain practices that can help but it's it's a 
quality of being. So, you know, it's a bit like the caterpillar, uh, the chrysalis and the butterfly. And that middle stage, the chrysalis, is where the breakdown happens and where the breakthrough begins to happen. Uh, how do we, where do we allow the space and time for us to go into a chrysalis to really start uh, healing those inner wounds, uh, to start integrating our shadow side, as Carl Jung uh, referred to it, uh, and go through that process of metamorphosis so that we can actually be in service who we truly are. Yeah, you're right. It's a process. And I, I'm, I want to ask you how to coach that. And yet you're, you're saying we can't really, <laughs> there's no practice tool. It's like this, it's this process that happens, right? It's like opening ourselves to it. And then um, that emerging place inside can come forward, but it's it's kind of like again creating the conditions for that to come forward. Yeah, exactly. I was just about to say that. Yeah, uh, it, it's you know we can't force it, and it happens when it when it happens. And yet, what we can do is cultivate those conditions, um, like gardening again, and and you know stewarding our own life. So being aware of it, the the, the signposts are there. Life, and this is nature again, showing us those signposts. Um, but we don't often read them when we're in that lower frequency of the uh, two dominant ego. We just don't see it. Um, but when we allow ourselves and, and many of us know that when we're going through that phase change, um, uh, that, we, that that sort of threshold, um, it, 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 and it's not easy because just like in nature, we find the shift from summer into autumn. Um, the leaves, um, the, the, the trees letting go of their leaves, that letting go process into winter, um, a process of, of death and essentially rebirth. Um, it, it can come with a sense of loss, of melancholy, of perhaps even depression, um, of opening up into the unconscious, of, of, you know, reflection and introspection, of wanting to hide away, of perhaps hibernate, all of which in modern sort of neon uh, um life we don't really necessarily see that we should be doing because it's it doesn't doesn't sort of respond to how society thinks that we should be and yet we need that that dark night of the soul which can be quite challenging yet if we wish to we can see it as as an important nutritious part of our our life you know actually having multiple lives within one life by re reinventing ourselves and 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 coming out into the world as, as a as a new person mm. I love that invitation and that um, the the multiple journey here that we're taking is is midwifing the new and and you talk a lot about really not even attaching to the changes it is today because there's there's multiple changes this is an ongoing process and and we need to open ourselves up to all of the emergence at at all times mm. okay. I want to talk about one more thing and make sure you have favorite things in Future Fit. You you talk about personal gnosis and organizational gnosis, and it's absolutely brilliant. The organizational gnosis module is incredible, and I love all the tips and the tools and the exercises you share. So anyone can pick up this book and go, oh, wow. I mean, this book is is really full of beautiful, helpful content. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what you mean when we're saying personal gnosis and then expand into the organizational gnosis because I think 
looking at this kind of like the icing on the cake of really understanding gnosis is really broadening into that soulful place that we talked about when we're loosening up the ego and, and leading from soul more. We come into this understanding of gnosis. Can you talk about that, John? Yeah. Well, I'd love to. Yeah, gnosis. It's a really, you know, the, the old ancient Greek understanding of to truly know, uh, to be in that deep sense of knowing your own sovereignty and, and to feel that clarity and coherence within yourself and within the systems that we operate within. And so how do we do that? Well, um, what, what I love to call activating our supernature. Um where we, you know, Carl Jung refers to our different natural ways of knowing of the intuitive, the rational, the emotional and the somatic, our body sensations and sensorial knowing. And we can allow, again, through simple practices to cohere those different ways of knowing. They've been loosely related to elements within nature. So rational is the air, the IQ, the analytic way of thinking. Uh, intuition is the element fire and insight um, which relates to SQ, spiritual quotient and quantum intelligence. And then you've got emotions, which are the water um, that are always within us, that relate, relate to emotional intelligence. And then you've got the somatic way of knowing, the embodied knowing, the earth, which is your PQ. And we can allow those elements within nature to alchemize within us so that our body actually acts as a kind of alchemic vessel, a cauldron. We mix together those elements and we allow ourselves to then tap into the fifth element, which is the Akasha, which is that field, that ground of all being that's always there, that's here in this, in this moment, if we allow ourselves to connect into it. And so we can do that. We can presence into life by drawing upon and allowing those different ways of knowing to cohere within us. And then our quality of knowing step changes into gnosis, into a true knowing. So the ancient Greeks used to talk about gnosis and they used to talk about episteme. Episteme really being all about knowledge and about um, how we apply wisdom into our everyday interactions way of uh, way of leading. But episteme without that gnosis underpinning it really uh, becomes unwise. It becomes abstract. So the gnosis really is a wisdom that is flowing throughout life that we can learn to tune into. And what I've done in FutureFit is separated out a set of personal practices for the leader, for the busy leader to engage with, to help their personal notice, and then uh, organizational practices that help the organization so that the leader can cultivate conditions for the whole organization to find its own gnosis as a living system. So it can truly step up to its own evolutionary potential. Mm. So, so, oh, pause. Wow. I, Giles, I can listen to you all day. Um, <laughs> I love how you weave all these concepts together and make it so, um, so palatable. Like it, it's, it's easy on our ears. It's easy on our body. And it's not this far out evolutionary concept that we don't get. So you're bringing it right to us in our normal waking consciousness. So thank you for that. The difference between um, our personal gnosis then and moving into organizational gnosis, I think is fascinating how you write about that. And it's that module is plum full. Like I said, with tips and tools and exercises, it's like this treasure trove. It helps us look at our work as leaders very different when we see the organization more like an organism. I I call our the organization that that I'm a part of. It's a living organism, and I, I think that's helpful. Do you want to say anything more about organizational gnosis? 
Yeah. Well, uh, the big shift, really, uh, as I say, is is from seeing the organisation's machine to the organisation's a living system. And when we see the organisation's a living system, we realise that actually it's made up of this whole web of exciting, messy, unpredictable human relationships. And so, yes, there are certain procedures that we need to allow the organization to run but the bottom-up emergence of the organization and its sense of knowing its sense of sensing and responding to its environment actually happens in those everyday interactions and so the quality of how we listen to each other how we chat next to the coffee machine down the corridor in the corporate boardroom the meeting conventions the decision-making protocols you know the the minute silence um, the sitting round a table and speaking and listening from the heart, whatever the simple practices are that we bring in to liberate ourselves from that mechanistic paradigm into connecting more deeply and truly showing up is what creates um, a flow, a relational flow in the energy to start enlivening the system. And a key part of that organizational gnosis is purpose, is developing purpose. Now, be, be clear here. What I mean by purpose is not a new mission statement or a cleverly designed uh, sentence by a management consultant company or a um, a new values charter posted on the wall. I mean, developing a deep sense, a resonant sense of purpose in the organization. When a threshold of people in the organization deeply resonate with the organizational sense of purpose. And when that happens, extraordinary things happen. You get a shift that happens in the organizational um consciousness just as we were talking about a metamorphosis at the individual level you then get a metamorphosis happening within the organizational level and the organization is then more able to start letting go of power-based hierarchies of control and domination that create that sense of separation between male and female between different types and and different ways of thinking to actually starting to allow an integration to happen and the organization starts coming alive and people feel more alive in the organization as well. So you just unlock the creative potential of the individuals in the organization through that organizational gnosis. Mm, I love that. So I'm going to throw a wrench at you, uh, a little twist here at the end, because we only have a few minutes left. But before I do that, I just want to let our listeners know that there's a masterful appendix here in this book, you can find the organizational health check, which is incredible. And you can find the business benchmark, which is so helpful and amazing in, in really um, shifting how we really own our leadership. But here's the wrench towards you. We have like three minutes here, Giles. And I really am curious what you might say. I believe that everything you're saying is so relevant to everyone as they claim their personal leadership. You don't have to see yourself as a business leader. You don't have to see yourself as an organizational or a corporate leader. Literally, the invitation is for all of us to step into our own personal leadership. What would you say to those out there today that aren't in in business or or, um, corporate leadership to to really bring them into this conversation in two minutes or less, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you you have mentioned quite a lot of it already about having to trust and and, and understanding, um, having the courage to um, recognize that actually you know there is an interconnectedness happening in the world that we are on a return journey. Something is happening. Something is shifting. The time is now, 
And there are, whilst a lot of negative signs, most certainly there are also positive signs occurring. So the big slogan, I think, for me, for this next stage leadership consciousness of regenerative leadership is trust in life. Trust in life. Open ourselves up to something that is far more awe-inspiring, far more wise than our little left brain hemispheres or ego consciousness can ever understand. And so all we really need to do is to allow ourselves to polish ourselves, polish our capacity, uh, keep ourselves clear and clean in our own sovereignty so that we can be in service of life, in service of ourselves, of our humanity and every living being on this planet. Mm. We talk a lot about being in service of the good of the whole or living for the good of the whole. And this whole conversation is just really couched in that idea that here we are and we can choose to be a part of this greater whole and flow with um, the incredible brilliant design of nature that's life-affirming and and creating a life-affirming future. Or we can we can get stuck and go backwards. And I I know which one I would choose to move toward. <laughs> oh my gosh, Giles, thank you so much. This was really a delightful conversation for me, and I look forward to reading your new book, Regenerative Leadership, when it comes out. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Julie. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for the work that you do. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, again, you can find more about Giles at gileshutchins.com and look up Future Fit, look up the other books. And I want to leave you with some of his words. We are at a critical time, a supreme moment, a crossroads, where we either open up to our potential or we continue to sow and reap the seeds of our demise, undermining the greatness of life. Our attention is a moral act. Our choices have moral implications. Every moment opens up the opportunity to attend to life with love or fear, with grace or dis-ease. How we attend to the world shapes our world and in turn is shaping us. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.